And let's turn to the book of Jude as we resume the study we began last week. And if you haven't, uh, if you weren't here, you can always pick it up online and um, at the archives at calvaryconnect.com. But I'm going to pick up in verse 20 tonight, and we'll do some review as the night goes on. But verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking unto the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts, open our minds tonight by the power of your spirit. Give us the wisdom to both submit and commit our lives to your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you do with your doubts? How do you deal with the doubt you have about God, his word, and the, the claims it makes? Oh, we all have them. Don't look at me like that. Don't get all religious down there on me now. We have doubts. I mean, and our, uh, our faith can be shaken sometimes too easily. You really believe this fairy tale of a, a snake in the garden and the book of Genesis and the spot, the sky splitting open in the book of Revelation. And we see here in um, the book of Jude, this Christ coming back with 10,000s of his saints and the, the graves blowing open. You really believe this? To some, this is just a, a fairy tale. It's, it's delusional. And um, if we begin to entertain these doubts, that is literally invite them into our lives, entertain them, uh, those shadows can become very powerful. And we saw last week examples of uh, doubt turned to an evil heart of unbelief in the lives of Korah and Balaam and the, the leaders at Sodom and Gomorrah. So we need to be utterly honest about the fact that we have doubts, some more than others, some more often than others, but we need to be able to recognize doubts, uh, understand them, and then realize how to deal with them. The worst thing you can do is live in denial about them and pretend, repress them, shove them down in your life because you really don't want to bring them to the surface. After all, you're a believer. And doubting would seem to be the antithesis of believing. And really, it's not. Let's begin by, by looking at the danger of doubt. Because doubt can be dangerous if it's not dealt with properly. A distinguished professor at Liberty University of Philosophy and Apologetics said, quote, doubt manifested in many forms from the assurance of one's salvation, listen, to factual questioning is certainly one of the most frequent and painful problems which plagues Christians. What to do about doubt? Be clear, doubt is sin. Because anything not done in faith, the Bible says, is sin, is falling short. Okay. So we need to recognize that it is a failure of faith. Uh, there are 8,000-some promises in the Bible. Failing to believe them it can have the following dangers. Now, in the very extreme, Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
So living under the shadow of doubt is no small thing. But it can, I want to reassure you, it can be dealt with. Uh, living under that shadow can have the following impacts on our life. It can be a roadblock to the joy and fruits of the Spirit. Sometimes you walk around Christians and you might just say, where is the joy? Where's the joy of the Lord here? The joy of the Lord is what lubricates the grinding gears of our life. Uh, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is what? Our strength. And so uh, doubt will sabotage uh, the expression of joy, the joy of the Lord in our life. It will restrict your spiritual growth because it will in inhibit your ability to apprehend and grasp the promises of God if you're living in doubt. Uh, it will restrain lifestyle evangelism. Why would you tell somebody fervently and zealously and consistently about something you're not quite sure of yourself? Also, doubt's got to be dealt with. And, and forthrightly, a doubt prevents the full impact, listen, of you reaching your destiny on earth. It can cloud your future. It can muddle your faith. It can lead you into a lukewarm, mediocre existence with the Lord. And that doesn't need to be so. God, God would seek you to be on fire for him, but doubt will douse the flames of your faith and, and make your faith seem abstract and distant and impotent. Uh, Jesus said, O oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew the peace that was yours in this thy day. And I believe he says the very same thing to his church. Oh, church, if you only knew what I wanted to do. Oh, Christian, if you just got a, a handle on what I intended for your life, what I have planned for your marriage, your ministry, and your family. I think Jesus looks at our life and goes, if they, if they, if they only knew, and, and guess what? I've told them. I've clarified my will. I've, I've defined precisely what I intend for them. He says to you tonight, let's get together so you do know, so you're not an epitaph of, of, of lukewarmness. Now, Jesus refused to put on a show for those who were hard-hearted and dishonest in their faith. But if you're sincerely seeking to know, if you genuinely want to have answers to your questions, he'll be quick to respond. Whereas he told Herod nothing. Herod wanted a carnival show. His doubts weren't honest. On the other hand, when Peter doubted rather dramatically on the Sea of Galilee, he was quick to lend a hand. And, but so he said, why, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, but he did respond, and he will respond to you if you sincerely uh, have honest faith. Both of these, Herod and Peter, technically doubted, but there was much difference because there are different kinds of doubt. Different distinctions we have to draw, different degrees of doubt. We have to uh, draw that sharp distinction between doubt and that evil heart. Unbelief basically, by definition, means unfaithful, rooted in a general lack of trust in God and his revelation. That is doubting. That is unbelief. Uh, in Mark 9.24, we find an example of honest unbelief. The father of the possessed or the, the child who was uh, showing signs of epilepsy or something similar, he said, Lord, I believe, comma, help my unbelief. Now, there's honesty. That's where you want to be, right in that comma. You want to say, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
And, G and Jesus marveled at that and said, if, if you, whatever you believe, if you only believe, you can have an unlimited opportunity to access uh, my, my grace and power. That's honest unbelief. But make a distinction between that and say Bill Maher on TV, Bill Maher, and he, he is an a, a, a advocate of atheism. But he has dishonest doubt. He made a statement just the other day, and I can't watch him very often for the sake of my, my blood pressure and my general health, but <laughs> he, he was talking about religion. He said, he said made this blanket statement, uh, all genocide is caused by the root of religion. And that is just blatantly historically inaccurate. But he went off on that trail how religion has caused all the major problems in the world and, and how it is rooted in religion if you go through history. And this is false. It's a false statement completely. Uh, just in about the 20th century was the bloodiest century in history. And you took Mao Zedong and Hitler and Pol Pot of the Killing Fields in Cambodia, Karl Marx, Idi Amin, on and on it goes. None of them had a shred of religious motive in what they did. They all killed and slaughtered and flagrantly brutalized their people for secular reasons. So to make a statement like that is dishonest doubt, trying to cover his unbelief. Uh, hundreds, those hundreds of millions of victims were not killed by any means for a shred of religion. See, skeptics very often have thin arguments, but they're so pompous and arrogant, they kind of pass them off. I have a friend who made a documentary called Expelled. And what he chronicled was how in, on college campuses that even those who have the intelligent design theory, we aren't talking creationism here, just the, the possibility, the theory that there might be something behind the design that all we see in, in DNA and whatnot. And um, he got to interview uh, Stephen Hawkins, Dawkins, rather, uh, make a distinction there. Dawkins, who's the author of, of the book, uh, The God Delusion, The God Delusion. And I was, I was staggered that he actually signed off on the video release, because in the interview, Mark really put him up against it. And he'd been, been going backwards and backwards in cause and effect, in the causal effect uh, of evolution. And finally got to the point of saying, where did the first cause come from? And you could see almost the, the beads of perspiration breaking out on Stephen on his, on his forehead. And he finally said, he, finally, he really quivered. He goes, well, it must have been aliens that planted the first seeds here on Earth. Now, Mark didn't ask the next obvious question. Well, where did the aliens come from? And he probably would have gone. The, the absurdity of the argument was clear at that point. He was uncovered for what he really, he would go anywhere but creationism. And really, that's, that's the, the, the core fault of evolutionaryism. Um, I just made that word up. And Ravi, Ravi Zacharias said, I could never be an atheist. It takes too much faith. I like that quote. Uh, there's, there's a core area, error, I think, in the, in the evolutionary theory, making man into a mere animal. What it does, it allows for animalistic behavior, you see, without regard to any kind of imposed morality, even though our conscience screams until it is seared shut and silent. And evolution is a deeply flawed theory, one of the most flagrant things ever perpetrated on the human race, developed by desperate men determined to de deny the obvious nature of an intelligently designed universe so man can claim to be at the top of the evolutionary food chain. 
Uh, Darwin's Origin of Species was written in 1959, and it's literally the Bible with a small b of evolutionary theory. And remember, when he wrote this book in 1859, Darwin had no idea uh, about DNA or electron microscopes or any of the many scientific advances that have been enjoyed in the past 200 years. But what he did was take four basic things, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, and distort and pervert them. He took the origin of man and made us into an accidental animal. He took the meaning of man and, and substituted survival of the fittest. He took mor the morality of man that, that God intended and said there are no absolutes, therefore there's no reason for sexual purity or monogamy. And he took our destiny and substituted random chance. And those are huge errors. Unless we correct them in our own worldview, they'll take us down a dangerous path. He theorized the known universe was here by accident, a product of time, matter, and mindless energy. And so um, many biblical critics maintain their positions, I believe, to, to, to retain their decadent lifestyles. Aldous Huxley, for example, an author I used to read at one time said, I, listen, I want this world not to have meaning so I can continue my erotic pursuits. And there it is. He, he wants to be an animal so he can act like an animal. Carl Sagan, while professor, professor at Cornell, said if we can get just one message from outer space, we'll know there is alien life. And I would say, Carl, read your Bible. It's a message, as Chuck Missler would say, from a different time, dimension, and domain. This is a message from outer space, from heaven, you see. And we've already got the, got the word from God. If you have um, honest doubts tonight, you are in good company. You're in good company. Um, uh, don't beat yourself up over having these doubts. But as we'll see in a minute here, deal with them. Sarah laughed at God. Elijah plunged into a spiral of depression and doubt. John the Baptist questioned Jesus, are you the one? And this was towards the very end of his ministry, after seeing many, uh, many things that, that reinforced the fact that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And Peter was, well, Peter was Peter. And there you go. But so don't feel that you're, you're the Lone Ranger if, if, if you deal and you struggle with doubts. But here's what to do about doubts. Uh, we see in our text tonight, in verse 20, build, pray, keep, and look. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. And look for the mercy of Jesus Christ. These are things that will help dispel the darkness. We don't, we don't chase the darkness, we just turn on more light. You see, that's the issue. The, the, more, the more you know about Jesus, the more you know about his word, the more you see your testimony come into life, uh, the, the doubts will evaporate. So you, you, and so uh, that's the step you want to take. And realize, don't live in this shadow. A God can handle your doubts. He's not, he's not intimidated by the doubts you have. He, he's, he's not uh, struggling to come to grips with an answer uh, for you. Lee Strobel got his law degree at Yale University. Uh, he worked for the Chicago Tribune. He was an award-winning uh, journalist, and he was an atheist. He had a problem, though. 
his wife came to Christ. And so he set out on a, a two-year journey to disprove the faith, particularly the veracity of the uh, resurrection. And so uh, he, he went and he went to extra biblical sources. He didn't just take the word of, of scripture. He, he went and dug deep. And uh, after about 18 to 20 months, uh, Lee Strobel came to Christ. And now he's written over 30 books. He's a best-selling author, The Case for Christ, The Case for Grace, and on and on it goes. You see, folks, truth is a rock. And either you fall on it and you're broken, or someday it will fall on you and crush you. So take, take the wisdom now to allow yourself, and, and the truth, again, is not intimidated uh, by our intellect. So what to do about doubt? Uh, confront it, and then feed your faith. Listen, feed your faith, starve your doubts. Say that again, feed your faith, starve your doubts. If you're struggling with absolute morality, for example, don't spend time in R-rated movies. Don't spend time in late night cable TV because those people are very slick in, in, in seducing you and in, 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 in closing your conscience about the reality of purity. See, that's, that's feeding your doubts and starving your faith. And as we see here today, to build, to contend, to pray, to keep, to look, these things will all reinforce your faith, help it to be more fortified, and if you have a healthy, balanced spiritual diet. I spent dozens and hundreds of hours in counseling uh, rooms after services at churches, where people are, come forward to the invitation and respond to Christ, and, and then we take them into the room, and, and then we give them an Amway pitch. No, and then we, uh, we don't, they never do that. Uh, we uh, give them, and you only have a little bit of time. It's kind of like being in a, in a, um, a nursery in a hospital uh, in, in, in the, the new baby ward. And you've got these people, and they're all, you know, they're, they don't know what's happened quite to them, and, and they really literally are newborns, some of them. And so you've got a, it's a few minutes to spend with them and, and to give them some uh, advice and direction. And hundreds of times I've said to them, look, you have a new life, but you want it to be stable. And it's like a table. You have to have four legs to it. You, you, have, to, you have to feed yourself the word of God. Uh, you, ha you have to have communication with God. That, that's prayer. Uh, you have to tell others about your faith. That's lifestyle evangelism because that will begin to weed out uh, negative influences in your life. And that will, that will make a statement that something has changed here. It's part of the public declaration of baptism, one of, the, one of the few sacraments demanded in the New Testament. And then fourthly, you have to be around people of like mind. You, you're like, you are born again. You can't just go back to your old life and just assimilate. Uh, you have to make a statement. You have to sometimes sacrifice and forfeit and, 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 and unfriend people at many different levels. You see, Jesus says sometimes you have to go so far as to literally something as intimate as your right hand to cut it off. That, that, if that's going to impede your progress to the kingdom, be willing to take that step because he said it will be worth it. And so we, we, it's the things we tell you. You must have a balanced Christian life. And uh, many people just gravitate towards their favorite part of that. All they, all they want to do is fellowship. All they want to do is read one part of the Bible. 
and they become unbalanced Christians. All they want to focus on is healing, and they want to focus on prophecy, and they become prophecy freaks. And there's nothing wrong with being well-versed in prophecy, but you need to be well-balanced. That's why it says build yourself up. Have that good base. In any athletic pursuit, the coach will tell you, you've got to have a good base. Whether it's boxing or it's football or it's basketball, it's having that good base. And you have to have a strong core. So you have a good base of, of fundamental Bible teaching. You have a strong core of belief. And this will prepare you for any kind of uh, spiritual warfare or attack you might, might be under. That's why it's so important just to be thoroughly versed in Scripture, to give yourself wholly to these things with a W, that you, you might be uh, the person God has called you to be. Feed your faith, starve your doubts, and then 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you. You want to be on your toes. You want to be ready, ready to pounce on that person, who that opening, when someone's ready and they have, they have an open heart. So that, that's the, um, that's the exact opposite of the clamoring of the material world that wants to tell you you're the only reality. Only what you think matters, really your pleasure, your, your, your possessions, your personal pride and your pursuit of, of, of happiness, all that really is important. That's the precise opposite of seeking God and, and following the narrow way. Now, God's still small voice will consistently whisper, I'm the one behind creation. He'll confirm to you the reality of the spiritual world uh, by pointing out right and wrong. That, that's the, the God-given conscience we have that's uh, activated, especially at, at, at conversion. It exists beforehand, but it's much more warped at that time. You see, no other creature on earth wrestles with the consequences of our actions. Now, I know you come home and the dog has chewed the couch. And he's laying there, he's got the big puppy dog eyes, and you think, oh, he's remorseful. No, he's just wishing he had opposable thumbs to open up the refrigerator and flip up the toilet lid. That's all he wants. He's not repenting over his chewing of the couch. And don't get me started with cat people. We're the only ones that struggle with conscience. And thank God that we do. When that stops, uh, you're in deep, deep spiritual trouble. So be thankful you have that prick of conscience. Uh, when you go off the narrow way. So uh, whether it's dogs or dolphins or cats, none of them are at our level. We are the crown of creation. But we're not the height of creation. Uh, we're made a little lower than the angels. We're part of a, a cosmic panorama that, that supersedes our little world. We're part of a, a, a drama of a romance that God is playing out for the whole universe to see. And we won't know the whole script until, the, until we're in that day. Now, we, we, have, we have an overview, but for, for our purposes, we only have one page of script at a time. And that, that's unusual for an actor. Usually they have the whole script and they memorize it and they become comfortable with it and they, and they rehearse the scenes. Not so for Christians. God gives us one page of, of dialogue a day. Here's your script for today. Well, what, about, what about tomorrow? Uh, this is your script for today. Well, I really, I really blew it yesterday. This is your script for today. Okay? There's only today with God. Yesterday, y yesterday is history forgiven. Tomorrow's a mystery not given. You have this, here's your script for today. And that's what God wants you to walk through. And not, not be caught up in the past and not, not be fearful of the future. What to do about 
about doubt? Listen, here, here's the sequence. Turn your doubts into questions. Turn your questions into prayers. Take your prayers to God. I'll repeat that. If you have doubts tonight, turn them into questions. See, sometimes it's the vagueness of them that makes them seem so awesome and intimidating. Turn them into specific questions. God, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. Be specific about what your doubts are. I really don't believe you're going to provide for me in this area. Be brutally honest about your doubts. Turn them into a question. Turn it into a prayer. Take that prayer to God. And you'll find they, they'll begin to dispel as you, he'll, he'll lead you into his word. He'll lead you into situations and people. And you go, wow, I was just thinking about that and I heard a, a teaching on the radio. Wow, maybe the Lord really knows. Duh. <laughs> and so you see, he, he wants to bring you further. He wants, he wants, it's, it's the revelation of his nature. He wants you to be a mature child. He wants you to go become a young man and woman and ultimately a father and a mother in the faith. But that can't happen if you're still back on milk in the playpen spiritually. And then Jude 17 says, remember, because we forget. We, buy, buy, we forget about everything. I, mean, I have this little tile thing on my keys. I can't even find that. I, I need a tile finder to find my key finder. We, buy, uh, we by nature, forget stuff. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Our bandwidth is, is limited. Our, you know, I, my, I'm all the time getting messages on my phone, your iCloud storage, and I'm, I'm deleting videos all the time. Same thing with my, our minds. We should get that little signal. Your brain is overloaded, you see? And because we have, we have so much trivial pursuit in our life and we place value on the worthless, we re disregard priceless wealth, you see? We have, I, I, can, I can sing the theme song to Lassie. I, I can sing Flipper, I mean, whatever you, you name, you name it, you know. But I can't name all 12 apostles that quickly, you see. And so that's why Peter said, listen, stir up your pure heart of remembrance. Because truth has a way of settling into our lives. You know it. Your brain has it. The Holy Spirit can activate it. But you have to, you have to remind yourself, C.S. Lewis said this, this is why daily prayers and religious reading and church-going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. Isn't that good? It does, you know you're a believer, but assumptions and expectations aren't automatic in the Christian life. You have to remind, that's why it says, do not forsake the gathering together as the manner of some is. Why can't I just go off and worship God in the keys? Why, why do I have to come? Why can't I just go to the mountains? Because we have to be around each other. A single coal will not burn bright. A fire put together is a whole different animal. That's what we're doing here, shining bright for Jesus. Well, let's try to recognize doubts because they come in different varieties and they come in disguises. They come in camouflage. Uh, there, there is very blatant doubts, like I don't believe this about, about God's word, but there are also passive things. And here's how doubt shows up in our life. Remember now, the, the opposite of, um, of faith is fear. So if you're living in fear, you're living in doubt. Right there. there there's a, a given. And fear uh, leads to disobedience. Failing to trust the God who is concerned in every area of your life. 
So if you're dealing with nervousness and anxiety and chaotic thought life about your marriage, your relationships, your finances, you're living in doubt as a function of fear and a lack of faith. But this can be healed because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When's the last time you memorized the scripture? When's the last time you memorized the promise of God? You know, John MacArthur said a good thing to do is um, take a book, i.e., the book of 1 John, and just decide to read it every day for a month. He said he did that. And that um, about 10 days in, he goes, man, this is a boring book. I'm, I don't want to get through 20 more days of this. But around day 15, he goes, you know, this is kind of interesting now. By day 25, he goes, well, maybe I should do another month. You see, that's how God's word is. It's not always linear. It, it, it brings you and it spirals into a circular, a circular path of spiritual understanding and revelation. You see, give yourselves completely to these things. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. That's precious. And then it shows up in your honesty. It shows, doubt shows up in your integrity. Because what you're really saying is God doesn't care. Either you're saying God doesn't know or God doesn't care. In either case, you're wrong and it's manifesting in a lack of integrity in your life. And then it speaks of purity, it speaks of your relationships, it speaks of your media life, how you, how kind of a gatekeeper you are to the media that comes into your eye gate. Because that, that what, you, what, you're, listen, what you're watching today is what you're gonna be doing tomorrow. See, that's, that's why uh, they have commercials, because it works. It works. Now, uh, a lot of people deny this, but it's an absolute fact. I've been in, involved in the advertising industry for many, many years. And I understand that they understand there's a, there's a, a target on your back. And now with the advent of, of web digital marketing, not only that, they know where you live, what you're looking for. I mean, you search for something on the web, and what pops up now all of a sudden? Oh, I wonder where that came from. I wonder how they knew. Well, let me tell you, they know. Okay. Things were changed. They used to just shoot with a shotgun, put on network TV one commercial, and spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, and hope you saw it and hope you responded to it. Now they know where you live, what you're buying, what your, your tendencies are, what, what your abilities are, et cetera, et cetera. That's only going to become more and more personal push advertising. The point being, you have to be, the Bible says, stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. And these things are going to assault you. You're under attack because you're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And uh, these doubts show up because ultimately, if we doubt God in the little things, it can incrementally lead to doubting in the big things relating to eternity. And you'll stop serving, you'll stop giving, you'll stop sacrificing because you're not trusting the scenario he's laid out that this life is a very narrow window of opportunity to plant seeds for the next life. And it's the, listen, it's the only opportunity we're ever going to have. These three score antenna, whatever you're granted, is a matter of fact that this is a, a very small test phase for how you're going to be a steward here over things that are really of, of relatively small importance. But Jesus said, if you can't be a good steward over things that are, are, are small, how will anybody ever put important things into, into your management? And we begin to doubt God. Say, well, I guess it doesn't matter if we give. It doesn't matter if I show up faithfully. You see, oh, but it does matter. Well, let's lock and load here with some truth for takeout. Truth for takeout. 
why else should we overcome our doubts? Well, first of all, we saw for our own personal uh, growth, edification, and, uh, and ability to be a, a, good, a good servant. But there's more to it. Look at verse 22 and verse 23 of the book of Jude. You see, we need to get out of ourselves for the sake of others. Uh, we need to be strong because others need to be rescued. In, in this particular instance, some having compassion, pulling out of the fire. There are three phases of people here in these two verses, verses 22 and 23. Look at it with me. There are those who are wavering in their faith, those who need to be snatched from the flames. What a powerful uh, way of phrasing that. And those we need to have mercy on because we bring them out of, uh, out of the very... Uh, door of hell, their, their, their garments being blemished by the flesh. I think we can all get a word picture of, of what that means. In World War II, the story goes that um, there were people in mental hospitals before the, the war broke out in London. And then the Battle of Britain and the Nazi invasion of France and Poland, the Britskik and all. What happened is people in the mental hospitals began to be interested in the Great War. And slowly and gradually, their symptoms disappeared, and they began to be released. And they, they took part in the war effort there in England. You see what happened? Uh, a greater cause overshadowed their narrow interests. And, and they, got, they got more interested in what was happening to their nation than to their own little mind, past, present, and future. Same thing can happen to you, where you're so, so enamored by what's right in front of you about your needs and your past and how they treated you and what you should have and could have and would have. And then you realize, wow, we're in a cosmic struggle here. People, people's eternities are hanging in the balance. Spurgeon said that we're, we're being dangled over hell on a very narrow sheet of ice. And then that's an important cause for you to change your lifestyle, for you to, to give yourself completely to these things. You know, everything the Bible says is true, but the Bible never says it contains all truth. We don't have to pretend that it does. The book of Genesis is not a science manual. It, it, it's, it's history to be understood by cultures and languages for millennia. Uh, it's not a sin for you to have doubts. It's a sin to have them rule your life and live unconfronted as a shadow that's darkening. If you could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be God. So we, we can be comfortable accepting the limitations, but minding the depths of this book. Now, there's a difference between honest explorations and excuses for selfishness. Finally, I love this story. Henry Heimlich was responsible in 1974 for developing the Heimlich Maneuver. If you don't know what that is, think Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire leaping to the rescue of Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> 1974, you know, they say that 3,000 people choke to death every year in America alone, most of them children. And for years and years, the Heimlich Maneuver was successfully used worldwide, and it saved the lives of untold thousands of people. What was ironic, and I've used this illustration many times, is Henry Heimlich theoretically came up with that maneuver. He, he never used it personally. And it wasn't a case where he saw someone choking in a McDonald's on a, a Big Mac, and he, he leaped to the rescue, oh, I think I'll develop a maneuver here. No, 
It was something he theoretically developed uh, as a medical doctor to deal with something he knew was a major problem. And so I used illustration for many years that you see you, you never know what your contribution is going to mean. And you may not be in the front lines, but you can go to the front lines with your prayers, with your gifts, and with your concern for missionaries. And you, 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 may never, you may never give an invitation and see 50 people come to an altar call, but your gifts keep the lights on so we can do it. And, and you're part of it. You're like Henry Heimlich. You're, you're doing things and develop, and you're giving in what? Faith. He developed that maneuver in faith, and it, it fundamentally changed the world. It saved lives. So I wanted to use the illustration today. I thought, I'll go back and check on Google and make sure I have my facts straight. And this is too good. This is just too good. He's 94 years old now. He's in assisted living. And in May of 2016, he's sitting at dinner with a little old lady in a wheelchair. And sure enough, she starts choking. He's like, this is my moment. And he, leaped, he said he leaped up, spun the wheelchair around, grabbed her, boom, bang, saved her life. How good is that? That is precisely what you do when you give and when you serve and when you sacrifice. And what you don't know is when your day coming is coming and God may say, this is your time. You've been giving in faith. You've been serving. Yeah, I kept track of all that. You planted all those seeds for eternity. But you know what? In this thy day, I'm calling you to do something. And you need to be on your toes. You need to be ready. You need to be ready to move when God calls you to do that. Don't, listen, don't miss your moment. And for some of you tonight, you fall into that verse 22 and verse 33 category. You need to be pulled out of the fire, even though your, your garments are blemished by the flesh. So we'll give you the opportunity right now to do that. This is primarily a message of encouragement and growth for believers, but we always want to give space for someone at the intersection of faith, reality, and eternity, and give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Some have struggled maybe your whole life, and God has brought you to tonight for this very purpose. For you to say, you know what? I surrender. I believe in Jesus. I want to pray with you, Chip, and I, I want to know of a certainty. I want to be confident of my salvation that one minute after I die, I'll be, I'll be in paradise with Jesus. You can know that tonight. It would be our honor. It'd be our privilege and our pleasure to usher you into the family. Let's all pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Wow. It's so clear. It's so obvious. You love us. You gave your son to die for us. And all you ask is a simple gesture of faith. That whosoever confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Anybody here tonight in that category, we'll just take a minute here, but don't miss it if it's your moment. Raise your hand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here tonight want to say yes to Jesus? God bless you. God bless you and back, yes. Praise the Lord. You know if God is calling you. That still, small voice saying, now is the time. Today is the day of your salvation. Do not put it off and provoke God. God bless you. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for our sins. And I know I'm a sinner. 
please forgive me. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me, Lord, to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.